sermon that you're about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintigard.com. I'll ask you to stand for the gospel this morning. These are the works and marvelous healing miracles of Jesus recorded in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go! Let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. This is the gospel of the Lord. Everybody gets sick. But leprosy is different. There were probably a couple thousand years where the world did not truly understand what leprosy really was. It's a mysterious disease, and, and it's not really a wonder why it was so mysterious. All people could observe is that it was very contagious, and it was usually fatal, and so nobody really wanted to get too close to study it. 
It wasn't until more modern history that we actually began to understand what leprosy is and what it does. And, and still, somehow, knowing about the disease does not make it any less horrible. Maybe you were like me and, and you had heard the times in the Bible where leprosy was mentioned and you had kind of surmised that, that leprosy was a skin disease. And it, it bothered your skin so that your skin would kind of rot and fingers and, and limbs would fall off. And that's not what leprosy actually is. Leprosy is actually a, a nervous system disease and, and it cuts off um, feeling from your nerve endings so that your body actually, as the disease progresses, it, it stops you from feeling any pain. You know, it gives us the wisdom to understand something about pain that, in a sense, pain is saving. You know, when you're experiencing acute pain in your back or in your leg, what do you do? You go to the doctor. <laughs> because you can't solve your pain and you know that something is wrong and you need to go get to the root cause of that problem. You experience acute emotional pain or, or, or spiritual pain. What do you do? You, you come to your pastor. That's what he's there for. Leprosy does that. It, it deadens your pain. What kind of happens with a leper is, is you can step on a rusty nail and not know that it happened. But your body still has to deal with the infection. You can wash your hands in boiling water and not feel the pain of it, but your hands will still be covered in the blisters that your body then has to deal with. What, what happens with, with a leper is that eventually your body just becomes riddled with all of these smaller infections and eventually your body falls apart and you die. It's a horrible disease. You know, it helps us to kind of understand why it is that in the Bible, leprosy and sin are so closely associated it's because sin and, and leprosy, they actually function in a lot of similar ways. You know, when you sin, what you're doing is you're driving a rusty nail into the relationship that you have with God. And even while you drive that rusty nail into that relationship, you won't see the damage that you've caused. It, it, it's, like, it's like drowning your relationship in boiling water and you'll never understand the pain. You'll never understand how much damage has been done. Sin does that. It's like leprosy. I'm telling you this because I think the only way to truly understand this account from Matthew is to understand how horrible the disease of leprosy is and how horrible the disease of sin is. Maybe understanding leprosy can help you set the scene in your mind. This leper comes to Jesus 
In Jesus' time, there was actually a law that if, if you wanted to go out in public as a leper, you had to be shouting at the top of your lungs, letting people know that you were coming so that they could get out of the way so that they did not have to be by you on accident. So you can imagine he's shouting, you know, I am a leper, I'm coming through, give me space. And he comes to Jesus, you can imagine the crowd is just parting like the Red Sea and, and mothers are shielding their children. This man comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you're willing, I know that you can make me clean. Oh, it's, it's marvelous faith. We can marvel at, at this man's faith all day. You can see from the way that he phrases his question that there's no doubt in his mind that he's going to be healed. He knows that, that Jesus could heal him right in that moment or, or, or he can wait until he's, he, he's dead and, and he goes to heaven, then he would be healed. He knew that. He had faith in that. And so he comes to Jesus and he said, Lord, I know that you're going to heal me either way, but Jesus, if you want to heal me now, you can. <laughs> and Jesus said, yeah, I want to heal you now. And then he reached out and touched the man and he said, be clean. Oh, it's so amazing that, that Jesus reached out and touched the man. You know, as I was exploring leprosy, I was trying to find, you know, what it's like to be leprous. And I found the account of one man who had, had leprosy and, and there was a moment in his life where someone knew that he had leprosy and still touched him. And he said that one little moment made him break out into tears. Nearby person asked him, why are you crying? And he said, it's because no one has touched me since the moment that I got leprosy. Jesus reached out and touched the man he was willing. And he said, go, be clean. You know, I want to lean into this here for a second, that Jesus was willing to make this man clean. Because there is a spiritual side of sickness. God made that clear in the Old Testament, especially with leprosy. When you were a leper, not only were you physically unclean, you were ceremonial unclean. And that's because of this fact that that. Sickness has only a root cause of sin. You know, normally, and it makes sense that we do this, but, but normally in the world, we boil sickness down to science. And we say the reason that you get a flu is because you have a virus. And the reason that you get a cold is because of a certain bacteria. And the reason that you have cancer is because you have these cells in your body that are going haywire. And I'm, pardon me if I got those, those terms all mixed around. But normally what we do is we boil sickness down to science. But science, the scientific cause of sickness is not the root cause of sickness. We know that the root cause of sickness is sin. <laughs> if sin had not entered into the world, there would be no sickness. If Adam and Eve had not fallen into sin, people would not be sick. The root cause of sickness is sin. 
And the result of all sin is death. There's a spirituality to sickness. It has a spiritual cause and it has a spiritual result. And there's a, a quote that I, I ran across that helped to emphasize this point. The writer said, Sickness helps people think seriously about God. Because healthy people can find no time for such thoughts. They put them away and count them as troublesome and disagreeable. But severe disease has the power to force us to face that reality. See, something that sickness does is sickness connects us to the spiritual reality of sickness. That sickness has its root cause in sin. And, and, and what sickness does is it connects us to the reality of life that not only do we need to be healed of our sicknesses, we need even more so to be healed of our sin. And Jesus is willing to cleanse us. Did you notice that Jesus did not tell the man, go, be healed? He said, go, be clean. It's because with leprosy there was an element of ceremonial uncleanness, but also we know that with every sickness there is an element of sin. And Jesus is willing. He's also able that's what the second account of, of sickness is about. Matthew, he, he tells us these three stories of sickness right in a row, and, and, and he does it so that we can look at the stories all in sequence and see, we can see the similarities and differences that they have between them. I, I'm going to draw attention to a couple differences between the first two stories. The first one is this, that in the first account we have the story of a man who comes to Jesus on his own behalf. He prays to Jesus on his own behalf. And with the second account, you have the, the story of the centurion who came to Jesus on behalf of someone else. And what you can do here is you can see two faith-filled people. Two absolutely faith-filled people who come to Jesus in their moment of need. But there is a difference. The centurion, he comes on behalf of someone else and now, sometimes it's really easy to go to Jesus when you are the one who's sick. But sometimes when you're sitting next to someone who's suffering, who's, who's sick, more so what we do is we sit and we feel helpless. There's nothing I can do, but this account shows you there is everything that you can do. You can pray. And this account shows us that your prayer on behalf of another matters. It matters. The centurion brought his servant to Jesus in prayer and he said, Lord, I know you can heal my servant. And it mattered. You know, there's something else that, that brings me comfort here that I want to bring attention to. Isn't it a comfort to know that even when you're not praying, someone is praying for you? You know, there may be a lot of reasons in life where you're not praying. You might be hurting really bad. 
You might be too sick. You might be too busy. You might be too frustrated. You might have too many doubts. But even in a moment when you're not praying, there's someone praying for you. Isn't that a comfort? Oh, it's such a comfort. That's actually the reason why the church exists, so that we can pray for each other, so that we can encourage each other, so that we can lift each other up in prayer. That's the first juxtaposition, the first difference between the first two stories. The second is this, that in the first account, what you have is a story of Jesus being right next to the person that he's healing. He actually reaches out and he touches the man. He's not afraid of the contagion. He is willing to heal the man. But in the second story, we have an account of Jesus working a healing miracle at distance. You can see that Jesus, he didn't need to go and examine the person. He didn't need to touch the person. He didn't need to see the person. He is able. He is powerful. He has the authority to heal this servant from miles away. The centurion knew that Jesus was able to do that. And, and Jesus actually, actually teased that out of him with a question. He said, do you want me to come and heal him? And the centurion replied and said, I don't deserve to have you come. Oh, Again, you have this amazing example of faith here. What this is, this is real faith. This is strong faith. It's the exact opposite of self-confidence. The centurion, he kind of breaks into this thing where he says, I have every reason in the world to be confident in my authority and my ability. When I tell people to do something, they do it and it happens. Because I have that authority. But Jesus, you just say the word and he will be clean. He will be well. It's amazing faith. It's the opposite of self-confidence and confidence in Jesus alone, in his ability and his authority to heal us. That's the second juxtaposition. You see, in the first account, what we have is is we see that Jesus is willing to heal us and to care about us. And in the second account, we have an emphasis on the fact that Jesus is able, he is powerful, he has the authority to carry out his care of us. And these two things, these two things are the fraternal twins of faith. These are the two pillars of faith. The one says, I believe that Jesus loves me, that he cares about me. And, and on the other side, the, the other one says, I believe that not only does he love me, that he's powerful and he is able to carry out his love. Those are the two pillars of faith. You can't have one without the other. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more because I think that's what one thing that Matthew is teaching us here. If you have a faith that trusts that Jesus does love you, but he's not powerful, then you don't have faith. What you have is sentimentality. What you have is romance with Jesus. It's nice, but it's not complete faith. 
And you'll find out that it's not complete faith when, when life hits you hard, when, when suffering comes upon you. And, and you look out at your life and you're thinking, I know that Jesus cares about me, but why isn't he doing anything for me? He must not be able to do it. And then on the other hand, if you believe that Jesus is powerful and that he's able to do anything that he wants to, but you're doubting whether or not he loves you, that's not complete faith either. You know what that is? It's knowledge. It's nice knowledge. It's good knowledge, but it's not faith. And again, you'll find that out when life hits you hard and you're suffering and you're you're thinking to yourself, I believe that Jesus is able to do something and the fact that I'm suffering is proof that he doesn't care about me. Jesus is able and he is willing. We have to know that. I'll tell you something else that's true. It's likely that one or both of those pillars in your heart is under attack right now. Which one is it for you? Or is it both? Is it the chronic pain that you've been feeling for years that's causing you to wonder whether God loves you enough to actually care that you're hurting? Or is it the chaos in the world that's causing you to wonder whether God is actually powerful enough to have any control over what happens at all? Or is it the anxiety and the depression that you've been fighting against for years and you're starting to wonder whether God cares if you have any moments of peace? Or is it the terrible situation that you've been praying about for years? That you're wondering if God was able to do it, he would have done it by now. Jesus is willing and he is able. The third story proves it. Now it's amazing that we have these three accounts of miraculous healing, one right after another. You have Peter and his mother-in-law. And all you get is, it's a short account from Matthew that Jesus comes to Peter's mother-in-law and he touches her hand and the fever leaves her immediately. And she gets up and she starts serving people. Now, I was sick last week, so that brought a new dimension of this for me. It's pretty amazing that she just got up and she was okay immediately. I, I was done with my fever on Saturday, but still Sunday I felt like a truck had run over me. It takes a while for your body to recover, but, but here we see that Jesus' healing is so perfect and so powerful that she was healed immediately. Jesus is willing to do that. He's able to do that. <laughs> These three accounts of miraculous healing in a row, Matthew uses them to teach us something about Jesus. In the first two, he includes dialogue between Jesus and the person that he's going to work healing for. And he uses that to 
to teach us and instruct us about the nature of faith. But with the third healing, there's no dialogue here. You know why? Because what Matthew is simply doing for us is he's showing you this is your Savior. This is your Jesus. Watch him. He is willing. He's willing to heal Peter's mother-in-law, and he's able to do it. He's able to do it perfectly and instantly. And then after, after these three accounts of miraculous healing, what Matthew does is he wraps it all up, and he tells us why Jesus does it. He quotes Isaiah chapter 53, and, and if you've never read Isaiah 53, I urge you to go home and read it today. It's, it's a chapter where Isaiah speaks about the, the servant who is willing to suffer and to die for his people. What Isaiah then there says about that servant is that he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. You know what that says about Jesus? It says about Jesus that he is so willing and that he is so able that he's even willing to care about our physical sicknesses. That's huge. Now, I've been getting into church history a little bit lately. The great church father, Gregory of Nazianzus, said this. He said that what has not been assumed by Jesus has not been redeemed. What, what he's saying is that what Jesus did not take on himself has not been redeemed by him. See, what that means is that if Jesus did not take our sins on him, they would not have been paid for. And if Jesus had not taken our sicknesses upon himself, we would still have them forever. Forever. No, does this mean that, that, that what Jesus did is he came into the world and he sucked the diseases out of everyone else and took them into his body so that his body could fight their fevers? That's, we don't have anything to indicate that that's what that's like. Do you think that Jesus got a flu? Do you think he caught a common cold? Do you think sometimes he was preaching with a stuffy nose? I think so. But still, that's not what Isaiah was talking about. That's not why Matthew quoted Isaiah. Do you know why Jesus took up our infirmities and bore our diseases? Matthew is teaching you that Jesus wants to do more than carry your sicknesses. He is willing to do more than take your sickness into his body. What he is willing and able to do is he is willing and able to take care of the root cause of your sickness. He is willing, he is able to take care of your sin. And he's willing to let it cost him. My last story for the day, um, it's a famous story about caring for people with leprosy. There was a, a Catholic priest named Father Damien who kind of scored the dream um, church position. You know, he was asked to come serve the churches in Hawaii. But after he arrived there, he came to know that there was an area in Hawaii that was illegal for a healthy person to go into. 
See, Hawaii was a common seaport for people all over the world. It was a stopping place in between the, uh, it was a stopping point in between Asia and the Americas. And so sailors would come into Hawaii and they would leave their diseases behind with the Hawaiians who, who had no immunities. And so what Hawaii did is they said, they we're going to have a leper colony. And if you're sick, you go there and you don't come out. And Father Damien knew that that was the place that he needed to serve. So he went into the leper colony and he served them and he lived with them and he built homes for them. He built schools for the children. He, he did more than just do infrastructure for them. He, he made them feel like they were human beings again. He, he touched them. He ate with them. He shared a pipe with them. And he built coffins for them and he sat with them as they died. And he served that way for 11 years before the day that he got into a bath and he got out of the bath and saw that there were blisters all over his body. He hadn't felt the fact that the temperature of the water was close to boiling. He had served the people, and it cost him. He was a leper. And it didn't take long. He, he died as a leper. He served the people, and it cost him his life. People of God, I want you to know this. What Jesus did is he came down into this world of leprosy. And he knew it was going to cost him. He came into this world and he knew that that the root cause of what he needed to deal with was not the disease of leprosy itself. It was the disease of sin. He knew that that was going to cost his life. He was willing to let it cost him. He was willing to be that suffering and dying servant that Isaiah described in Isaiah chapter 53. And not only was he willing to be that suffering and dying servant, he was able to be the rising servant. He's the great rising servant of God. He rose from the dead so that when he comes back one day, he will defeat the sickness that for us is now merely death. Dear people of God, Jesus is the promise that when he comes back, Sickness itself will get sick. And in his great name, we'll die.